This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good afternoon in New York, Heidi. Uh, what is that early, 1030 in California? It's three hours later here. Good morning, Mom. Good morning. Well, you're not going to believe it. I came into the studio today, and Paul, our, my engineer, is here getting everything set up. And lo and behold, I go over to uh, get to my mic and all that. And guess what's on the counter? A dime. Exactly. <laughs> surprise, surprise, Mom. Could I even believe that there's another dime? I don't know. For our audience who doesn't know, we find dimes, right, Heidi? Yes, but can I tell you something really strange that happened to me yesterday around dimes? So I got into the New York City cab. You know, I'm in midtown Manhattan. I was taking my daughter to a movie, and uh, she's only six. She doesn't really she she doesn't really know about our dimes. I'm serious, Mom. She really doesn't. I believe it. Okay, so I I find a dime. It's on the ground. I pick it up. It's really shiny. I said, Samantha, look, this is a dime. She goes, Wow, Mom. She goes, You know, we're going to see Uncle Scott someday in heaven. He's going to be there and he's going to see us and he's he's going to be really really excited to see us. Oh my heavens! I just looked at her and said, Why are you saying that? She goes. I just had a very strong thought, Mom, that we are going to see him, and he's going to be very excited. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> I thought that was such an interesting thing to say, and I mean, it's so connected to the whole dime thing. I know. It's it's really incredible. I mean, I have found dimes in a cab in New York City. Uh, I'm a golfer on the golf path. Uh, Heidi and I were doing a radio show with Ron Volano, and something happened that we couldn't. I couldn't do it from my house, so I kind of gave up, and went out to walk, and we went back online, and uh, there it was, a uh, dime on the road. It's been unbelievable, and Heidi, I am so excited. We have got to write an article for our next book. Uh, we have a book coming out this spring called Dream, Signs, and Connections. So I think we better write one in that one. Write one about about our finding dimes. Exactly. I like it. I like it, and it's, it's, really, it's really interesting because my father is kind of, he kind of rolled his eyes, and he doesn't really believe, but he's having, <laughs> he's having a more difficult time not believing lately. Because he keeps noticing that there is a pattern of us finding dimes, and he, he sometimes even thinks that maybe we planted them. I'm like, no, Dad, we didn't plant them. <laughs> We're not trying to trick you. It's true. We do find dimes. I had to look a little askance at uh, Paul this morning. and I thought, mm, I wonder if he knows about dimes, and he put it there. But he reassured me that he didn't run in before we recorded the show to put a dime down. And plant dimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to uh, uh, decide exactly what are there. I think think of different things like you're on the money and, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, they're a wonderful sign. And I'm sure um, I went to um, an event uh, where a friend of mine's son, uh, son, Chris Donahoe, who we're going to have on the show, and he's also going to sing at the Compassionate Friends National Conference this summer in uh, Cosa Mesa, California. And uh, anyway, I went to an event where he was singing, and uh, and uh, his brother was there. And I just looked at his brother, and for some reason it came to me, I said, Watch uh, his brother Terrence died. Their brother Terrence died, and uh, this year he was a, a physician and died of MS. And I looked at um, this brother of Chris's, and I said, "Watch for signs. You're, you're going to be receiving some." 
And that's the first time I'd ever met him. And I'm like, wow, that was strange. But anyway, <laughs> go with the flow, right? Well, Heidi, um, we've got a great guest today. And we've had uh, Kim Cluxon Meredith on before. Um, she is uh, uh, is uh, was widowed at age 40. And she wrote a book called uh, Listen to the Whispers, Coping with Grief and Learning to Live Again. And uh, she, as I said, was only 40 years old when her husband David passed away. And we'll talk about that a little bit. She, by the way, has since remarried. And we're going to get into some things that I think are going to interest people about dating and some of the things uh, that she has dealt with. But I wanted to tell you that she also has another radio show with us on January 13th, 2011. So being today, being the 19th, uh, it's only a few days ago, uh a year ago that she was on the show and we wanted to have her on today because she's one of our writers and she's written some great articles. Go to opentohope.com and the articles are there where Widow reflects on the Labor Day. She wrote one about Labor Day. She wrote one about Father's Day and she wrote one about uh, Widow's Seasons of Grief and we are very privileged to have her on today. Welcome, Kim. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Thank you very much, and I like your story about dimes. Now, I call those whispers, so I'm not finding money. I'm just getting whispers. And tell us about your whispers. My whispers are those little feelings in my, deep in my gut, my intuition, when I allow myself to be relaxed and just to get in tune with who I am. And these are the things that just lead me to my, they, they led me to my healing and right now, they just lead me to my happiness. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you're talking about your happiness because I know there's so many folks out there right now who've had a loss and they wonder if they'll ever be happy again. Can you remember back at that time, Kim? Oh, definitely. It, it's such a time. Um, we have to go through that, I believe, as part of grief. But it's such a feeling that you're so low. And I did write in my book, I, I had a very, very low moment. And I didn't know if I could pull myself out of it. And so now to be in such a state of happiness, I'm just so anxious to share it with other people and to give them hope that they too can come through it. Now, what do you think the most difficult thing is that you remember uh, in losing a spouse? And tell us about uh, David and how you did lose him. All right. Um, I was 40 and David was 44 and he died as a result of injuries from a single car crash. So it was a very sudden death. He did survive as a quadriplegic for two weeks, and that was my first gift I was given. He did not have the ability to speak, but for some reason I was able to read his lips and we were able to communicate. Mm. So we had two weeks together to finish our circle of time, and during that two weeks he also gave me a very special special gift. He, He mouthed the words, get married again. And at the time, I couldn't even fathom having another relationship. But as the years passed and I started to get my legs again and feel more confident, that was the most precious gift that anybody could have ever given me. I have chills that in the middle of him trying to struggle for his life, that he actually had the, the energy to do that, to give you that gift. What an amazing thing. It, it was amazing. We had a wonderful relationship, and he was a very selfless person. And I think he recognized that my spirit was just one that was just, I was going to be dormant for a little while, but it was just going to erupt again, and I needed to share my life. Well, how long after did you get married again? Well, I waited about 12 years. I had a 10-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter. 
So I focused on their happiness, and it just didn't seem right for me to be um, looking at myself. I wanted to make sure that they were as secure and comfortable, as happy as possible, since I still had both of my parents alive, and there wasn't any way that I could bring their dad back. So I spent my time working on their happiness. Mm-hmm. Now, what uh, did you start dating? I know our people out there wondering now, she waited 12 years. Did you date in between or, and you know, how did that go? Well, it was a couple of years afterwards that I reconnected with an old college sweetheart. And that was really um, a wonderful beginning because this was pre-internet dating. And mm-hmm. there were not any anonymous ways you to test the waters. So I went back to a familiar friend, and it was very nice, and we connected a little bit, and we spent some wonderful time together. As it turned out, it wasn't meant to be, but it was a very nice introduction um, to feeling like a partner again. Yeah, because, you know, I'm kind of thinking, wow, if I'm 40 and I'm hearing you talking, I'm saying, wow, she's been all her time raising her kids and was selfless. Um, does that mean I have to wait for 12 years to get married again? Oh, not at all. Everybody is different. And when I have been speaking to different groups, people ask that. That just worked for me. And my children and I are very close. We were close before. It just worked for us. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, not at all. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. What do you think the biggest challenges are for uh, somebody who is uh, widowed at 40? Well, just trying to figure out what that new status means. It's kind of funny. As adults, we take on titles, and being Mrs. is a joyful one. But now having to check off that block widow on all the forms, it was very overwhelming, and it was very sad for me. And I didn't know how how to do it properly since I had never done it before. Mm Mm-hmm. I found that socially very challenging because basically the world is pretty much paired up. Mm-hmm. And you wonder how to fit in. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're, when you're in your 40s. I mean, you, it wasn't like you were a 90-year-old widow. Exactly. That's the image that I had saying the word widow. And then I'd look at myself in the mirror and it just didn't seem to go together. And I wondered, you know, wh- where do I belong? And, and that was why also I wrote the book as I was trying to process everything. I didn't know how to fit into society. I had sort of been put on the side as a broken piece, and I didn't know how to get back into it. So what are your tips for people? What are some ways to get back into it? Well, I think um, being with friends really helps. Um, friends can sometimes seek out people that might you might be compatible and keep a sense of humor and be open to just a casual dinner. You never know what it's going to lead to, and, and not to project something um, on a first date or a first meeting with someone. Mm-hmm. And how about joining clubs and things like that, finding a new interest, or, you know, would, would that work? Well, I think so, but you have to be true to yourself. So I, I think I would caution someone not to pretend that they were a world-class skier um, and only, a, you know, at a novice level and not having done that before. Put yourself in a in an organization or an interest that you are truly interested in and comfortable with because you don't want to project someone that you're not. You know, it's kind of interesting. I've actually, in the past few months, I have ended up with two. Uh, my brother died, so I have my sister-in-law. And then uh, my husband's, uh, his his sister's husband died. So we have two sister-in-laws who are bereaved right now. And it's been very interesting for me because uh, I don't live by my sister-in-law. 
And uh, I am trying to call her now. You know, it's an effort because I didn't get in touch with him that often. And, and I think it's kind of a challenge. And I've been very interested that she's called me back. I've been somewhat surprised and pleased that she and I, um, I realize I need to make that contact. It's so nice. Uh, when you can maybe reconnect with some family that you haven't been that close with, or just get to know, uh, get to know some other friends in a different way, mm-hmm. and you find out how much we all just we need to be connected to one another in some way. Yeah. Now we were talking about um, Michelle Neff Hernandez's group, and I just wanted to mention that uh, here she has a young widows uh, group called Soaring Spirits, and if, and the internet's amazing, isn't it, Kim? Oh, it it is because. Not only is it just a wealth of information, but you can take your time and you can be in the safety of your house and slowly venture out, especially when you're not feeling too confident. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to us a little bit about raising kids with the dad gone. Oh, I was so nervous about that because I was one of uh, four girls and I, I didn't have a brother. And so having a son, I just was so worried that I was going to mess him up. So I would make sure that he and I did the Boy Scout things together. We did the Pine Box Derby car, and we carved it together, and and we did the missile shooting together, and I just was so worried that somehow I would fall short. My daughter I could identify with a little bit more, and she would share her feelings, but I really just wanted to make sure that both of them would, would have a happy childhood, and I was so scared that I wasn't going to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Well, Heidi, you have worked a lot with the nine eleven widows. What have you? Do you have some questions for Kim or some thoughts? Well, I guess my my thought was that exactly what Kim is saying is what they struggled with. They were very young widows as well. Most of them were in their thirties and forties and twenties and had young children. And as you said, Kim, they lost their husbands, and so how were they going to give their kids what they needed from a male, you know, the male perspective? I mean, we brought in a lot. There were a lot of firefighter. They were firefighters, so we brought in peers, peer mentors for the kids, other firefighters to serve as kind of just surrogate big brothers, and that how that helped a lot. But you know, that's that's the big challenge. How are you going to be everything to everyone and to your kids? And uh, and then to and to yourself. It sounds like yourself can go in the back burner a little bit. And that is hard. But one thing I did find out that that came through. Uh, I have two very sensitive, caring, compassionate children. And I mm-hmm. think their sense of, of compassion was really heightened and their sensitivity and appreciation for life. So I'm going to say that that was a plus that came out of this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's so many ways kids grow after loss that we've talked about before. And the other thing is, and the research supports this, you don't need to be raised and to have two. Ideally, it's great to have two parents in your house and to have two parents in your life, but you don't need it. Kids can turn out amazingly well and loved, et cetera, with only one living parent, as you know, Kim. So, I mean, a lot of parents have this fear of my child will be forever destroyed and their lives will be over and ruined because they've lost their father, when in reality, yes, it's a horrific thing that happened, but your life doesn't have to be forever destroyed. And your kids are more empathic and more resilient in many ways when they've had losses because they've, they've lost, you know, their parents, et cetera, their fathers, their siblings. They really, really, um, I have seen with, with my kids, they have just become such caring adults now. And my daughter is married and has two children. And now to watch her as a mother 
is just wonderful mm-hmm. to see her patience and her care. And it's almost like she has just a different view, and she just is, is such a wonderful mother. Now, let me ask you, what about uh, the fear uh, of the children, Heidi and I have talked about this a lot. What did you do with the fact, did you have to address the fact that they might be afraid that they'd lose you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That right away, I think all of us were walking on eggshells for the first year. I quickly got uh, a cell phone. We were in constant communication when someone would leave. Everyone knew where I was going. I would phone in if I was late. Um, yes. There, there was this hesitancy to leave one another because uh, the accident was so sudden and quick. So that was definitely something of concern. That's so interesting. So isn't it, Heidi, that she'd, uh, they'd, she'd have to tell them where she was? Yeah, absolutely. Another, another common thing. Kids are scared. They, they, they saw that they lost their father suddenly. So now what if their mother all of a sudden dies? Because when you have a, a child die, you're worried about where your kids are. But I never thought about the kids worried about where their parent is. That's really interesting, very, very insightful, and the way you dealt with it. I almost felt like I had to make sure that I, I came back at my curfew time. If I said I was going to be home at a certain time, <laughs> I made sure I wasn't late because they were going to worry. Uh-huh. Well, Kim, I mean, there's there's so much truth behind that. I mean, people think it's crazy, but I, you know, when, when you've had someone in your life that suddenly dies, it completely turns your world upside down. And there have been so many times in my life since my brother died when somebody said they were going to be somewhere at a certain time and when they weren't, I immediately thought, well, that person probably died. And before yes. my brother died, that would have never occurred to me. I wouldn't have put that thought in my head. It, it's funny how then your mind can go in a different direction, and it's understandable why it does. Now, let's talk about another issue that I think has got to be big, finances whether you have enough money or who's taking over what jobs and if your husband took care of the, the finances or, you know, how, do you have any thoughts on that? Fortunately, we had a wonderful partnership and we shared everything and I was knowledgeable with finances. So it, it was an easy transition, although at one point I decided I just wanted to cash everything in, put cash in a, in a shoebox and go hide somewhere and it would be much simpler. Um, but I had lots of help from relatives. My father helped me with finances, my sisters, and I felt confident at least I knew I could do it. I didn't want to do it necessarily, but I knew I could do it. So I was very fortunate in that way that we shared everything in our life. Mm-hmm. Heidi, what did you find out with the 9-11 families with that? Well, thankfully for them, they, they got a lot of compensation because people from all over the world sent money into the Liberty Funds, into the 9-11 Compensation Fund. So from a financial standpoint, they were fine. A lot of them had never, ever dealt with their own, you know, trying to figure out the finances, et cetera, and they brought, but they could now hire people to help them with that, and that's what they did. So that was that was the positive thing. They also had the option of not having to work if they, if they felt like they wanted to be at home with their kids at that point. You know, another, the bigger problem with some of my clients who are not 9-11 is that when their husbands die, they lose their husband's income. And oftentimes their husband's income was maybe more than theirs. And so that puts them in a financial, a, a very different financial bracket. And that can be very stressful, especially when you've had the loss of a spouse, because oftentimes when you have the loss of a spouse, you may want to scale back at work for a little bit until your kids kind of get on their feet a little bit. And you have a lot more options if financially you're, you know, in a stable place. And the last thing you want is an, is another level of stress. So fortunately I was mm-hmm. working full time as a teacher, 
And fortunately, my husband's, um, he was a very excellent businessman, and he had taken out an extraordinary coverage for automobile insurance. And that extraordinary coverage covered all of his medical bills, which were extraordinary over the two-week time. So because of that safety net, I felt very secure. Well, well, you know, that's amazing, Kim, and, and good kudos to him. But the, I will tell you, when I started working with the 9-11 families right after 9-11 and I was working with all these widows, I did not have life insurance. And going into these homes and seeing these families really kicked my butt into gear. And I realized, you know what, as a parent, I need to get life insurance because God forbid anything ever happened to me. I need to, you know, do that for, for my kids. And that was the it's one thing that I really took out of it. You don't yeah, think about don't it when think you're about young. That. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, Kim, thank you so much for being on the show today. And you want to give uh, people a heads up on your book and where they can get it and your website. You've got a blog so they can blog on and they can come to their, uh, our site, opentohope.com. Uh, Kim's one of our writers. And uh, uh, so how do they get in touch with you, Kim? Well, uh, my blog site is listenforthewhispers.com. And my book was published by Cable Publishing. It's also available as an ebook, and it's available on Amazon in soft cover and hard cover. And I'm also um, on your website, and also as a resource for the American Widows Association. So there's a lot of different places that it can be purchased. And you're a good public speaker. So if anybody's got a forum that they want you to come on to. I'm sure you'd be happy to hear about that. Oh, I would love to. I have been speaking at many local places. I am also endorsed by the Virtual Canadian Hospice as well as my local hospice organization. And the most rewarding thing for me has just been able to share my story and then have people feel a connection and comfortable and share their own story. So it's been a really, really rewarding experience and I hope to continue it. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Gloria, and thank you, Heidi. You are most generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kim. Thanks so much for helping people to learn how to live again after loss. Thank you. Well, Heidi, uh, really, Kim, such a great example. You know, I just see that post-traumatic growth that we talk about, personal strength. Uh, she's seeing that there's new possibilities and opportunities. Uh, she certainly has deep relationships and a great appreciation for life, and uh, I just am very impressed with her and her journey. Absolutely. She, she's a great role model for other young widows out there that are struggling right now to figure out how they're going to survive and how they're going to go on and how they're gonna, going to find hope again. Absolutely, and uh, we'd like to say to you all and give you the option to lean on our hope and on people like Kim's Hope until you find your own. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.